If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Luke chapter 12. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. We're going to begin in verse 13. Today we're going to continue our series that we, we paused for the Advent season on, on the parables of Jesus. And today we're going to look at the parable of the rich fool. Now for us, um, this parable, if you, this parable is hard. Just to be honest with you, for us as Americans living t- today, because we live probably in the richest nation the world's ever known. And we have luxuries that most people throughout history never had. And so if you leave today without a little conviction of this parable, it's you, not the parable. Because um, trust me, as I've taught this over different times throughout years, this parable is convicting. Um, and it convicts me every time I read it. And it, it, I think it'll do the same for you. So as you're turning there, though, I want you to think about something. I, I don't know. I didn't check this morning. I think I saw in the news that the Powerball was getting pretty high again. I think it does that it's kind of every once in a while. It gets out gets higher and higher and higher, and so people play it. I have three kids, so I can't afford that. So, um, But I want you to, every, every one of us at some point, as that Powerball gets higher and we see no one wins it, has imagined what you would do with however the number is, right? What's 200 million, 300 million. I think not that long ago, it was almost, it was what? It was high. It was like almost a billion dollars or something. You've probably thought to yourself, what would I do with that, right? If I won that, what, what would I do? What would I spend it on? And, and you realize that you can only spend so much money so fast, right? Um, the stats are pretty staggering. I didn't look them up, but I think that the people that win a huge lotto prize and then within five to ten years are bankrupt again is a very high, high number of people. But we all have dreamed probably of that. What would I do with that much money? Um, and oftentimes we think that, man, that would fix a lot of some of my problems. If I've got debt here, we'd pay the house off, we'd be able to buy that car I've always wanted, we'd be able to add on to the house, or whatever it is. It fixed maybe some of the problems. We, we see stats all the time that lots of divorces are caused over what? We're finances, right? We get in an argument about finances. We don't spend money the same way. One person's, and we, have, and we have conflict. And so we often think of if our finances are good, everything else will go good. And this parable is not going to say that. This parable is going to teach us what is most important in life and what isn't most important in life. And that's what this parable does. And, and so we'll jump into it here in Luke chapter 12 beginning in verse 13. It says this, Someone in the crowd said to him, talking about Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This was a common thing that rabbis would do. Rabbis would often help kind of medi- mediate between families, whatever the, the issue might be. It didn't have to be about finances. But here we have two brothers, at least two brothers, it seems, in the story, that are arguing over what? Over inheritance. The parents have passed away. They've been left with the inheritance and they're fighting. Now, this never happens today, right? I've never had to counsel anybody on this. No, this happens all the time, right? Sadly, I've, I've talked to people who have had in their family such division and conflict over inheritance that they've had people who haven't talked to each other that are siblings in, in over decades, right? As they fight over whatever it was, whether it's just a, a large sum of money or as a possession or whatever it is, this issue to this day causes all kinds of problems within families, doesn't it? If you haven't had it in your family, maybe you know of a friend or you know of cousin or someone who's had it in theirs. That as the money gets split up, people start showing their other side, which is often an uglier side. And it's happening here. This man comes to Jesus and Jesus will solve this problem for me. Jesus, tell my brother he needs to divide the inheritance with me. Now, if you lived in the ancient world and there was two brothers, which we seem to have in this scenario, the older brother got two-thirds of the inheritance. So yay for us older brothers, right? (laughs) The younger brother got a third. Part of the reason was the older brother had to do all the work with, with that, right? He, had to, he, had to, he was in charge of it. He had to do it. 
And so we're not sure if this is the older or the younger. Most likely this is the younger brother, right? He was trying to get his third from the older brother. We don't know, but he wants Jesus to settle this for him. Jesus, tell my brother he needs to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus' reply in verse 14 is this. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he's going to jump into the parable. But I want you to look at his reply first. He goes, I'm not handling this for you. I'm not doing this. Now this was not an uncommon thing for rabbis in Jesus' day to do. And Jesus decides, no, I'm not doing it. Now remember, Jesus has a slight advantage over the rest of us. He knows people's hearts. Uh, We don't. We try, right? We try to understand each other's hearts, but we don't. God does. God's the only one who knows. So Jesus has a a little advantage over us as we deal with these type of things and deal with people is that Jesus knows the root of the problem before the man ever speaks, right? Jesus knows the man's heart. He knows what's really going on, which tells us that there's, there's the real issue that Jesus seems to believe is happening here is what? What's he say in verse 15? Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus says, watch out for, for people, including ourselves. We have to look in the mirror in times in which we're greedy, when we, when we cling to things. And when I picture greed, I, I picture someone with clenched fists, right? Hanging on to what they have. They're not going to let go of it for anything. And Jesus gives us, man, if you're at the end of verse 15, again, if you're not convicted by that, then I don't know what you're doing. He says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Every time you turn the TV on and there's a break in your program, our culture is trying to tell you what? This, this season is, is the worst, is it not? Every time you turn it on, you need a new piece of jewelry, a new car, a bigger house. The kids need this toy and that toy and those shoes and those jeans, right? And, and uh, that's just, we're inundated with it. Constantly saying, you need more stuff. You need it. It's not that, hey, if you, you might want this. It's no. The advertisers are saying, no, 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 you need this. If you want to be happy, if you want to be fulfilled, you need this stuff. And Jesus tells us that we don't. That your life does not consist, your worth and your value isn't found in your stuff. It's not where your worth and your value is found. And he's going to jump into this parable. And if you're not convicted yet, don't worry, it's coming. Verse 16 and 17, he says this, And he told them this parable, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So the character of the parable is a man who's already rich. He's already wealthy. Apparently he's in agriculture. He's probably a farmer, but maybe he has other ventures as well. But he's he's a wealthy man already. And this year he has an abundant, a, a fantastic harvest, one he could have never imagined, right? And couldn't have planned for. So the harvest is so abundant that he doesn't have storage, doesn't have the barns to put the harvest in, to gather whatever it is, grain, whatever it is, he doesn't have a place to put it. He thinks to himself, what am I going to do? This is a great problem to have. If you're a farmer, if you're a business person, just thinking to yourself, I've had more success than I could possibly imagine. Now what? Right? Now what? What am I going to do? And play it in your own mind. What do you do? You're already wealthy. You're already fairly well off, right? And now you have this great and abundant harvest. What do you do with it? Where do you put it? His solution you find here. 
verses 18 and 19. And he said this, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. The man wrestles with the, the issue for a while and he thinks to himself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down my old barns. I'm just going to build some bigger ones and that way I'll be able to bring all my harvest in and it'll be fine. I can sell it when I need to sell it and life will be good. I don't think verse 18 is as bad. It's verse 19 where I believe he gets in trouble. Verse 18, being a good business person, there's nothing wrong with that. He says to himself, I think I'm just, you know what, I'll, just, I'll, I'll build bigger barns. That way I can store this. In case it ever happens again, I already have the storage in place. I believe verse 19 is where he gets in trouble. And his plan is to build bigger barns, and then once the bigger barns are built, what's he going to do? Verse 19 says, he says to himself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. What's he going to do for the next however many years? Nothing. Right? Nothing. I mean, that's, I don't know. Maybe to you that's not nothing. To me, that's nothing. You're sitting at home twiddling your thumbs. That's nothing. Now, he had some choices, did he not, of what he could do with his grain. His choice was, I'm going to build a bigger barn. I'm going to stick it all in there, and then I'm going to do nothing for a few years. I'm going to take it easy. Now, he's the one who did all the work, right? He's the one who's, who did all the planning. So to me, the bigger barn thing isn't the issue. To me, the, the issue is the resting on your laurels, right? Is sitting back and thinking, I'm good. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know that King David, who, as he became king, was having success. There's one time, the Bible says, and there's a time, it says, when, when it's springtime, when kings would go off to war. Kings would go off to war, that's what they did. They just would, they would take the winter off, and when spring came, they'd go back, and whoever they were waging war with, they'd wage war. And there's a time in the Bible when it says, when kings go off to war, King David instead stayed in Jerusalem. And you know what happens in that chapter in the next chapter? Is King David has an affair with Bathsheba, kills her husband by sending him to the lions, right? And then tries to hide it. And when I read this story, that's what I get. What did King David do? He said, things are going well. My kingdom's going great. And I'm not, you know what? I'm not, I don't want to go out and live in a tent and be at war. I'm going to stay home. And just in moments after that, probably days, maybe weeks, maybe a month after that, he commits a huge and, and, and great sin of adultery, then murder, and then tries to cover it up. What do we have here? A guy who has that same attitude. Everything's going well, it's good, so I'm just going to put it in autopilot. I'm just going to cruise for a while. And look at what Jesus says in verse 20 and 21 about this man. Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. The only time in the Bible where God calls an individual a fool is here in this story. 66 books of the Bible. 
only time God calls a person, an individual, a fool, is in this story. The only story Jesus tells where a person dies is this parable. It's about a man who has too much stuff. Now, if you're not convicted, I can't, there's nothing more I can do. Because this hits me right square between the eyes. How often are the decisions that we make in life geared towards stuff? How often is it about stuff? Now, I know you've heard me say it probably a dozen times, but you can't cram that car in the coffin with you. It won't fit. Now, if they want, you want us to stick you in the, co- in the car, I guess, and try to bury it, I, we could try to do that. It's not going to fit. The house will not fit in the coffin. It's not going to. You can't take it with you. The Egyptians would bury what with their kings? You guys like history? All these riches. You know what happened? People came and stole them. They didn't get to take them with them. They just sat there until someone discovered them and went, holy cow, look at all this cool stuff, and took them, right? Some great movies about that. You can't take it with you when you go. You can't. You can try. They can, they can haul the RV behind the hearse. It's going to look funny. And it's going to slow us all down as we're getting there to the, to the mortuary. But you, I mean, you can do it if you'd so... But no one... It's stuff. How often in life does the stuff get in our way? Now, I want you to... I want to go backwards for a second. And I want you to look at this man again in some detail. Look at the story. Look at verse 12... Or excuse me, chapter 12, verse 18 and 19. He said this, I want you, well, actually, let's go back to 17, when the man starts talking. So Jesus tells us a story in 16, right? The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, now, if you know anything about pronouns, oh, Janine left, dang it, our school teacher's gone. She's helping the kids. I want you to think about the, the first person pronouns. What's, what's a first person pronoun? It's when it's about me, right? Look at that in this story. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take like easy, eat, drink, and be merry. The problem with this guy is I is he can only see himself. In a world in which most people lived in absolute poverty, instead of blessing others with his stuff, his decision is to do what? Hoard it. Build bigger barns. And God calls him a fool. Now Johnny's going to get a video ready for us. Hopefully the audio works. We tried it a couple times and we got it to work. About somebody who I think does the opposite. That's a good example. This is a, a young man named Brady Singer. He's a first-round draft pick for the Kansas City Royals. And Brady gave his parents a gift at Christmas time. He posted this video on Twitter. Hopefully our volume will work. Go ahead, Johnny. Whenever you're ready, just start. I love you, Mom and Dad. Oh my gosh, am I gonna... 
Dear Mom and Dad, I just want to say thank you for everything you've done to help me reach my dreams. From Woodley Field to Caucus. <laughs> There's absolutely no way I could have done all this by myself. Both of you constantly took off of work and spent every dime you made just to put a smile on my face. My smile appreciation for both of you has never stopped and it never will. I will always remember traveling around Florida for baseball, trying to cheaply eat and save money, but I never could because you both always wanted me to have the best stuff to help me pursue my dream. The money you both spent on traveling, gear, hotel, food, and all of those Gatorades I drank is much more than I could ever give you. But there was something I want to give to you. the loan from the bank. Also, I paid off all your debt as well. <laughs> what? Now, instead of trying to save money every weekend to replace the savings account you drained, no time to play baseball. You can spend it on yourselves. <laughs> because you deserve the very best, I want you both to know how much I appreciate you and how none of this would be possible without you. <laughs> Your giving hearts helped to shape my tiny dream into a reality. I love you both more than you could ever imagine and will never forget what you both have done. Now let's go celebrate Merry Christmas. Love always, Brady. Brady was the Brady. Woo, there we go. Good, Johnny. Brady was drafted first by the Kansas City Royals. He's 22 years old. He's a right-handed pitcher. He played three years at the University of Florida, and his rookie contract was worth $4 million. And instead of building bigger barns, Brady thought to himself, how could I repay somebody who had done so much for me? And so the tens, if not over $100,000 probably, his parents spent traveling on hotel rooms and meals and gear for baseball. Brady thought to himself, how can I pay that back? So what did Brady do? He paid off the house and all the debt his parents had accrued because part of that was to pay for Brady to play baseball. It's quite the contrast from our guy we see in Luke chapter 12, isn't it? To me, Brady's the exact opposite. Who, when is blessed with an abundance, blesses others. The rich man who God refers to as a fool, when blessed with an abundance, what does he do? White knuckle hangs on to every last grain. And the point, I think, of the parable that Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that as Christians, as people who put Jesus first, our stuff isn't ours. I know you worked for it. I know you, I know. But it's all a gift. God's gifted it to you. What are you going to do with it? I want to read for you First Timothy. As Paul writes to, to Timothy, who's a young man in the ministry, in chapter 6, he says this, beginning in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Amen. I want to conclude with a quote from William Barclay in his commentary on this passage. He says this. He says, There's a story of a conversation between a young and ambitious lad and an older man who knew life. I will, said the young man, learn my trade. And then, said the older man, I will set up in business. And then, well, I will make my fortune. And then... I suppose that I shall grow old and retire and live on my money. And then, well, I suppose that someday I will die. And then came the last stabbing question. The man that never remembers that there is another world is destined someday for the grimmest of grim shocks. And then, and then, where is our hope found. Our hope is not found in our stuff. Our hope is not found in the number that's in our bank account. Our hope has always been and will always be found in God and God alone. And he has blessed us, brothers and sisters. You are blessed because you were born in this country. You are blessed because you live in the richest nation the world has ever known. And maybe you don't think to yourself, I'm rich. Let me tell you something. You are. You're rich. Now, what are you going to do with it? We have a choice to make, don't we? We hoard it, and we keep it, or we bless others with it. Be like Brady and be a blessing to other people. Don't be like the rich man who is a fool and keep it all to yourself. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come here today to, to worship you in this, in this beautiful building. And to just be thankful for all that you've given us. And God, we have so much and have been blessed by you in ways in which most people in history have not. And so God, we ask that you would help us to meditate on and to think about this, this parable and how it relates to each and every one of us. As we look ourselves in the mirror and, and realize what decisions do we make based on what's most important to you and what's most important to us. God, we want to make the decision based on what's important to you. How do we be a blessing to those around us. How do we help grow your kingdom and not our own? 
Father, we just are immensely grateful for your son, Jesus, for his words that we read here in, in the book of Luke, for his life, for his death, and for his resurrection. God, we know that that resurrection gives us a hope that cannot be disappointed, a hope that life goes on forever and ever with you. God, we're so grateful that you love us and that you sent your son to, to this earth to die for us, to offer himself as a sacrifice. And we're all so grateful, God, that he, the grave could not hold him and the tomb could not keep him and that he came back to life, giving each and every one of us the hope and the promise of life everlasting with you. It's in his glorious name we pray. Amen.